At the time of this recording, the world is in the midst of a viral pandemic. Many people are afraid. Many people are in isolation, voluntary or otherwise. Some are sick or will become sick. And indeed, some are dying. In this special series of the Guru Viking podcast, I ask my guests how to work with fear, anxiety and panic. How to work with isolation. How to work with sickness and death and how to help others who are also having those experiences. Neither I nor my guests are medical professionals, and this podcast is not medical advice. Fear, sickness, and death are perennial human experiences, and it's my hope that these episodes will be of use not only to those who are being affected now by this situation, but also of use to others beyond it. So Stephen, thank you very much for joining me on this special edition of the podcast. My pleasure. Nice to be with you again, Stephen. So a lot of people are worried, frightened, some perhaps even experiencing panic. What would you say to somebody who came to you and said, Stephen, I'm frightened, I'm afraid, or I'm panicking? Well, the first thing uh, that I would talk about with them is to limit their exposure to information, that people are really getting uh, somewhat obsessed about looking online and looking at lots of different information. And so I've heard from a few students and I've been recommending that they focus their attention on the CDC information and maybe only look every few days. You don't look every day. There's not too much that's happening in your neighborhood from day to day. So, so start with that to, to just settle down in terms of how much information you're taking. And the other is really to take care of yourself to really look at, at are you getting enough rest? Are you getting a good amount of food, the right kind of food? Are you taking care of your, you know, your body in terms of water and what exercise you can do? And most importantly, are you finding ways to relax? And I think that's quite critical, both meditatively, spiritually, as well as just personally. And do you have any advice from a medica- from medication point of view? <laughs> <laughs> Whiskey. <laughs> yeah, do, you, do you have any advice from a meditation technique or strategy point of view for somebody who might be in, in that moment experiencing emotion like fear? I do. And uh, the, the first thing one can do, whether we're feeling panic, fear, uh, anxiety, is really to just be with what's here, to just let yourself sit and to just really be honest, be truthful with yourself. What am I experiencing right now? And just feel that. Because part of it is we're resisting feeling the fear or the panic, and that's part of the dilemma. You know, the Buddha talked about the second arrow of judgment, and this is like that. This is the second arrow of avoidance. We're trying to, we have a certain feeling, we're trying to suppress it in some way, and that's taking a lot of energy. So to first be, be with what you're experiencing, and then you can turn techniques like the, like the concentration meditation. The mindfulness of breathing is one of the best meditations people can do right now because it does cultivate and open us to serenity and tranquility. And it does take away, we're bringing our awareness to one object, which is the breath. And we're purposefully not, not bringing or not allowing our attention to go other places. Could you perhaps describe that or... I don't know if you want to guide it for a couple of minutes or something. The basic instruction set maybe in real time as we're practicing that 
might be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Let's do just a minute or so, and uh, I'll just guide it. So, so seat yourself in a comfortable position. If you're uh, based on your body, you may, you may need to lay down. If so, you want to prop up your head with pillows. So you're not laying flat. Uh, but if you can be in a seated position and just let your body relax, have a, a, a decent posture. You don't want to be too slumped or too stiff. And let your awareness come to your breath as it passes between your nostrils and your upper lip. And just sense, feel that breath as it moves across that little territory between the nostrils and the upper lip. You want to let your awareness move from anywhere else it is. You want to let go of anything else that's in your awareness, any thoughts or emotions, any feelings you're having. We're not suppressing or pushing away. We're just not attending to those things right now. So let's just breathe together and feel the breath. So that was just a sample, a few minutes of doing this. And I could feel even in our field, things quieted down, got more still, and there was a little more peacefulness here. So that's why it's a really good practice to take up or to uh, continue with during this period of time. Could you talk, uh, address the relationship between that practice and let's say anxiety? For instance, will focusing on the breath suppress or calm down the anxiety? What if when one focuses on the breath, in a certain sense, one becomes even more acutely aware of the anxiety in the body? Could you talk a little bit about the interaction between those two forces, the technique and any anxiety that may be there? Sure. And, and this is a fairly common phenomenon today among meditators, both depression and anxiety. So this is a real question that comes up. Um, the, the main thing to know is that again, for a lot of people, the anxiety is worsened because there's a kind of wanting to push away or, or suppress that it's, its presence. Sometimes there's shame about it or judgment about it. So again, the first thing is to just be with what's really here. And if anxiety is here, to do your best to be with it without being carried away by it. So notice it's here, keep your pivot. So if you can stay seated, and take some nice big belly breaths 
that'll help settle down the body and ground your energy. And then, and then again, this is a good practice for anxiety uh, by being with the breath, because again, we're, we're bringing our awareness away from what else is here. And the anxiety can stay, that's not a problem, but we don't add extra energy. We don't go and investigate and explore the anxiety. We just notice it's here and we meditate anyway with it. And that seems to help people settle down. Again, the recognition that's what's here, the, the not trying to suppress it, also noticing if there's judgment, like superego judgments about it. Try to push those away. And with superego judgments, you do need to actively push away to create space, because space is what we really need in meditation. So it's, in a sense, a combination of the redirected attention and the no longer interacting with the anxiety in a way that perpetuates it. Those two things are some of the elements that bring relief with this technique. They seem to. It seems to help. And and finally, if, if that isn't helping, if one is still feeling like the anxiety is getting to be too difficult, then usually it's recommended that they turn and do some meta meditation. They do some loving kindness meditation for themselves. And really, that's a matter of tuning into your own innate goodness. And the easy way to understand that goodness is that's what a, like a newborn baby or a puppy has. They don't actually do anything that's generating a, a feeling of goodness towards them. Just their beingness generates that. And that's where we wanting to get in contact with for ourselves is our beingness, the goodness that we have. And so we want to turn towards that and be in touch with that. And uh, anyway, there are some phrases that support that. But for the main part, just to be with that goodness and feel your own goodness in your heart area can really help uh, calm and replace the anxiety with some feelings of uh, worth and value and a little more ease. Thank you. So also, some people are sick and some people will fall sick. What would you say to someone uh, who came to you and said, Stephen, I've been diagnosed with a sickness, or Stephen, I am indeed sick? Right. Well, I would tell them first to take care of themselves, to really make sure they have what they need. They have, again, um, sufficient food and water. They've got a place they can rest. They're getting enough rest. Uh, and also to be patient, that uh, they're going through a process. It's going to take some time. Uh, but to keep yourself as healthy as you can and to uh, really do the things like the spiritual practices that'll help you stay present and try to stay as positive as you can be as well, because that helps. And you know, to do all the things they're recommending, washing hands and all that, even if you're sick, you don't want to reinfect or spread to other people. So um, that's important. But just to give it time also, because these things will you know, we'll work through and, of course, call any medical professionals they need, their doctor, to find out what's the best medical treatment. But if they're just been told to isolate at home, then uh, that's a time to do that. And do things, too, that are nourishing and things that are uh, nourishing to the soul. So in terms of even entertainment or reading or um, if they do the arts or music. So f find things that give you joy even during that time. Would you also recommend the mindfulness of breathing for somebody who's sick? Well, I would uh, to the point of whether their breathing is uh, is not disturbed. 
if somebody has shortness of breath, that might cause more anxiety to realize, to focus on the breath. So for those people, I would probably suggest that they do the metta meditation, really that, that goodness of being meditation that's metta, and to be with their heart and just you know, be with themselves in that way. If they can do the mindfulness of breathing, if they're not dealing with the symptom of shortness of breath, and it's a great practice because it really does invite the serenity and tranquility um, of our deeper nature. And so that's very soothing to our soul, soothing to our consciousness and our being. And some people are facing the prospect of their death. What would you say if someone came to you and said, Stephen, I think I'm dying or I know that I am actually dying? Well, I think the same thing. The first I would do is to, like if we were on Skype like this, to ask them, what's that like for you? And to really listen, let them share what they're going through and whatever that is. For some people, you know, it could be anywhere on the stages of dying, the Kubler-Ross stages of dying, but to really be with them and, and let them express what they need to and be with the reality. This is happening not trying to candy coat it or misdirect them, you know, to take them off of that, if that's where they are. And I think also to help them be in touch with what's bigger than we are and what's also timeless. Uh, you know, what's not going to, what's they called in Zen sometimes the unborn, to be in contact with our deeper nature that isn't born and doesn't die. If we can be in contact with that, there's something soothing and comforting about that there's a part of our consciousness that's not going away. Is there a particular strategy or technique that you recommend to turn in the direction of that unborn? Well, I think there's um, there's practices, mostly the heart practices, I'd say, the Brahma Viharas. Uh, I, I think particularly the, um, the Upeka, the equanimity practice, is really helpful for people that are in the last stages of life. And that's really uh, be, uh, being with their um, being with their heart, and really uh, the phrase one uses is um, that each of us is heir to our own karma. So it's the idea that we all have our own uh, time of birth and time of death, and just being with the naturalness of that uh, can be really helpful. Understanding it's not personal. You're not being uh, punished by a god. Uh, this is just how life is unfolding. So there's a way that we can be, and, and that opens us to the deeper nature of that, our, our true nature, as we call it. So it opens us up. Is that a practice you could share in a short guidance, perhaps, at this moment? Sure. So, so same thing. Uh, seat yourself in a comfortable but upright position to the extent you can. And then letting your awareness rest in your heart area. It's not your physical heart necessarily, but the territory of your heart. And just taking some nice, big, deep belly breaths. Letting yourself feel grounded where you are. Feel your feet on the ground, your legs on the ground. Feel the support of your seat holding you and letting your awareness rest in the heart area. And then silently each air to our own karma. And over time, we can reduce the phrase down to air. 
and that we know encapsulates the whole phrase that we are each heir to our karma. And seeing that there's no punishing, there's no nothing bad we've done that's resulted in this. It's just the naturalness of life. Part of what this practice does is it really fosters a deep acceptance of what is. And one repeats that phrase, the longer phrase or the shorter phrase, with the synchronized with the breath or in, in any rhythm that they'd like? Any rhythm they'd like. And normally use the longer version until you feel like you're getting concentrated. And then you can reduce down to the one word. And at some point, even that isn't necessary. You can still feel the energetic support of the phrase, even if you don't say it, if you're silent. Wonderful. And I think in that answer about facing death, you've also partially answered my next question, which is how to support those who are dying. Do you have any further comments on how to support those who are sick or dying? I think it's be attentive to them. So really check in with them, see what they need, where they are, because the problem for a lot of us is we have ideas about how they should be or we think they should want to eat or drink or do this or that. And maybe that's not what they need. So I think to really check in with them and see what's real for them and also check whether I mean, there are people who when they get ill, they they cut down or stop eating or drinking. They feel like they feel better. And so you have to kind of balance that with what's sensible. Like they know, I, I worked at a hospice for a year and they know that people that are dying don't need food and water the way that living people do. And in fact, it, it, it can add to their pain as they're dying if they're um, given that late in the dying process. So, uh, so anyway, but to check in and see what they need and be attentive to be loving if they want to hold hands I mean, if they're sick and it's communicative disease, you don't want to do that without a glove on. But if they're not and they're dying and want some physical contact, which is pretty, pretty common. And then understanding that a lot of people die alone. They wait until everyone leaves uh, or people are asleep to die. It's about 75% of the folks in hospice when I was there died that way. Yeah, I also worked in a hospice for a year in my teenage years, and it's quite it's quite educational. Yeah, I found when I was in the training for hospice, one of the things they told us was that people die the way they live. And when I heard that, I was I was really puzzled by well, what does that mean exactly? 
But when you see people die, you realize there are people who die, they're angry, they fight it. Some people are very sweet and and you realize, well, this is who they are and that's how they're meeting death. That's so fantastic. So last question then. Many people are limiting their social contact and are in isolation, whether that's voluntary isolation or they're required to be in isolation. What advice do you have for people who find themselves in a period of extended seclusion? Well, I think it's a it's a good time to really be introspective. I think it's going to be more difficult for those who are wired to be extroverts because, of course, they get a lot of juice being around other people. But for the introverts, those of us who are introverts, I think it's an easier thing to do. But it's a time to really, um, I think, take advantage to do things like if there's reading you wanted to do, if there's uh, projects, if you do arts, it's a time you can do art. If you enjoy music, either playing or listening, that's something you can do. So really to find things that you can do that are nourishing to your soul and also use the time in a way that's productive to you, that you, you know, not like you have to do something necessarily, but do something you've been putting off and wanting to do that you feel would be really good to do for you. And I think you can still reach out. Like here we're on Skype together. We can call, we can text, we can still make contact with people if that's something we want to do. But we just can't do it in person right now. We need to be responsible citizens of the world right now. One of the effects, I think, that people experience when they're in any sort of seclusion, whether it's a sort of solo retreat that they've deliberately taken or, or some sort of a situation like we're in now, is that the day can lose a certain kind of tone. The sleep cycle can be disturbed and there can be a sort of sense of, of lethargy and, and inability to mobilize any kind of constructive action. Do you have any advice about how to uh, prevent that or advice about what to do if one finds oneself falling into that kind of a state? Yeah, it reminds me of people doing solo retreats at home. And I hear this a lot that they get started and then all of a sudden the day starts getting away from them. And so really the advice there is to come up with a schedule, to come up with a time to wake up, to have breakfast, to meditate, to do exercise, whatever you're doing, uh, reading, and then time for sleep and that kind of thing. And if you can then follow the schedule, then it takes a lot of that decision away from you in terms of, well, do I feel like eating now or do I want to wait or I think I'll sleep in tomorrow. It keeps you on a schedule in a way that becomes very natural and again, you don't have to you don't have to decide each each item. It's sort of decided for you. And that gives a structure also to it. That's great. Thank you. Do you have any final uh, closing comments on this topic before we wrap it up? I think just for people to remember, like anything else, this is going to pass in time. We're going through it. It seems like it's never going to end. And that's always the way it feels when we're in the early part of it. And so just to, to keep in mind, this this will pass. We will be looking back on this someday and to do their best to be a citizen of the world and to um, take care of themselves. And that's taking care of other people, too. Stephen Snyder, thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Guru Viking podcast. For more information and more episodes in this series, visit www.guruviking.com.